You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Wow! Let's give a round of applause for the song leaders getting us ready to worship the Lord there with the song. It's so good to be back in London, England right there. And I bring you greetings from the Sydney International Christian Church. You know, of course, uh, Michelle and I were able to go back there. She was, of course, uh, born in Australia, and she lived in Sydney. And let me tell you something, the church is, is, is an incredible church. And it was literally the first time Michelle went back to Sydney after being there for 20 years right there. So that was a miracle in itself. And, you know, they, they send their warm greetings, they send their love, they send their encouragement right there. And, uh, you know, Sydney is, is only a, a, a small journey away. It's only a 24-hour flight. Okay, five-hour layover right there. But, I, you know, I just told myself, I got the Holy Spirit, I'm a disciple, and the Holy Spirit, that means you put the Spirit above the jet lag right there. And then we're going to preach the Word. Are you with me here? Turn to the book of Acts. Today we're going to be beginning our study on the book of Acts. And of course, I was commanded by some of the members of the church, since you missed me, to tell you a few jokes. What did the left eye say to the right eye? Well, between me and you, something smells. That was Michael Hart. What did... What does a pepper do when it gets angry? Gets jalapeno face. Jalapeno face. James Morgan told me to tell him. You know, as a scarecrow, people say that I'm outstanding in my field. But hey, it's in the genes. That was Anthony. Almost. You know, I waited and stayed up all night and tried to figure out when the sun was going to rise. It dawned on me. Dawned on me. Sister told that one right there. Sometimes I tuck my knees into my chest and lean forward. That's just how I roll. Victor Como told me to tell that one. I wasn't going to do it. You know, as my friends, as my family, I told you guys almost 10 of, of my best jokes to get you to laugh. But sadly, no pun intended. No pun intended. That was Michael Hart again. It's time to get into the Word of God right there. <laughs> see, I was see, there's no, I thought those could be great jokes right there. And yet, when you think about the term great, that, that's something that really got me thinking in, in Australia. Quote, unquote, let, let's just say the difference between good and great. There's a, there's a huge difference between something that's good and something that's great. You know what I mean? There's something, there's a difference between good music and great music. You know, uh, of course, I, I was sad when, when, when I heard that Prince died. You know, because he, he, he was an, an incredible musician. Of course, David Bowie this year died. Of course, Muhammad Ali, the greatest, he died. And yet, 
all these individuals, there was something different about them in their field that made them more than just good. It made them great. Are you with me here? And I think we talk about that sometimes. You know, I saw this great movie. I had a great meal. I went on a great date in the kingdom. Amen. I got a great, I don't have a good wife. I got a great wife. I don't have a good husband. I got a great husband. And the sister said, okay, there we go. There's a difference between good and great. So today we're going to be talking about building a great church. We're going to be talking about building a good church, but a great church. And yet if you're visiting for the first time, we, we want to encourage you that we are not out to build a good church. We're out to build a great church. We're not out to build a church that's just for the community. Because when you only have a community vision, you will only, maybe you'll get the community. You'll most likely get the neighborhood. But when you've got a world vision, of course you'll get the community. Of course you'll get the neighborhood. Of course you'll get the community. We want to build a great church. Say, wow, that, you guys just come up with that? No, that's what the church in the Bible did. They were a great church. Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts is, dare we say, Luke's second quote-unquote testimony about the Lord. And of course, Luke is was a doctor, and Luke pins the account of the book of Acts. Of course, it's the book of action, dare we say. Because you see the action of the disciples. Actions always speak much louder than words. And so you see their actions, and, in, and you know, your actions today being here to worship speak much louder than words. And so you see their actions as we go through the book of Acts. But what made them so great is they had an incredible, they had a great message. Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, you know, you had people that teach that Theophilus was a literal person. No, Theophilus is a literary device. It literally means friend of God. I hope you feel like today you're a friend of God. Because if not, you don't want to be an enemy of God. He says <laughs> to my, in my former book, friend of God, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day he was taken to heaven. See, that's how long Jesus did it, and that's how he how long he taught it, until he was taken to heaven. After giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men, and gave himself, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and spoke about the kingdom of God. You know, I love this right here. It just says he came back and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And you know, he had to give many convincing proofs because they, they, they doubted him. The disciples, they fell away. and they, Jesus had to come back and follow up on this is You want a scripture on follow-up? It's right here. Jesus followed up. And he had to restore them and get them back focused in on, on, on the kingdom and get them back thinking that, wow, God, God, God still is reigning here. And the Bible just says, he, he spoke about the kingdom for 40 days. He's just the kingdom of God. The king. You know, Jesus began his ministry talking about the kingdom. Jesus ended his ministry talking about the kingdom. You know, Jesus' major message was not the cross. I may step on a few toes. I'm not picking one against other. We, 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 of course, we are all about the cross. Jesus' major mission was the cross. To come and die for you. 
Jesus' major message was not the cross. Jesus' major message was the kingdom of God. That was his message. You know, you got a lot of messages out there. You got prosperity. That wasn't the message of Jesus. You've got just feeding the poor. Although feeding the poor is so incredibly noble. And we're fired up. We're a church. We believe in feeding the poor. That, that wasn't what Jesus came to preach. He came to preach the kingdom of God. That was his message. From the beginning to the end. He started in Mark chapter 1. Saying, hey, the kingdom of God is that you gotta repent you gotta repent and become a disciple you gotta become a disciple that's how he started it and of course we see here that's how he ended what are the details of his message what did he teach these guys Matthew chapter 28 you know today if anything I say is in the word of God it's not me saying it to you it's God speaking directly to you. Yeah. If what I say is not in the Bible, just blow it off like shaft. Are you with me here? Yeah. But if what I say is in the Bible, it is not me. It is God speaking directly to you. Yeah. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Well, verse 16, pick it up there. It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain Jeep where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. The most powerful weapon against you and me is doubt. Satan didn't try to get Adam and Eve to struggle with lust of the eye or anything. No, 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 no. He used doubt. Just a little seed of doubt. Doubt is powerful. Doubt makes you insecure. Doubt, doubt makes you unsure. Doubt makes you uncommit. That you know, I don't. I don't. Did that person wash their hands before they're serving me this meal? No, right there. Uh, no, we'll go to another restaurant. I mean, doubt is powerful. And we live in quote unquote London, the intellectual capital of the world, where knowledge is so powerful to know so much. And yet, these disciples started doubting Jesus. And he doesn't go into an apologetic sermon on him. You know how Jesus deals with doubt? You know, if you come today and you're doubting, let me tell you how, to, how Jesus dealt with it. Not, not how we deal with it now. We go on Google nowadays. We talk to people. We talk to professors. We talk to scholars. We talk to but how does Jesus deal with doubt? How does Jesus? Well, listen, look at it right here. It's right here first. He says, then Jesus came to them and said... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age in the church. Said. He challenges them to deal with doubt with actions that speak louder than words. Says, you don't believe I'm the Son of God? You don't believe I have all authority? Go and make disciples. Go. Go and make disciples. After you make a disciple, baptize them. So you don't get baptized until you become a disciple. So if you've not been baptized, you're not a disciple. That's not according to me. That's according to Christ. And then he says this here. After you baptize those disciples, then you got to teach them to obey. Not something, everything. I've commanded you. You know, we, 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 it's one thing to be taught. It's another thing to be taught obedience. Yeah. It's one thing.
for someone to give you the information. It's another thing for them to hold you accountable. And Jesus says, you need to teach obedience, not information. And let me tell you something, teaching obedience, ooh, that, that, that will, that, 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 that's a challenge right there. That's when your heart comes out, when someone says, hey, obey. I mean, try that, husbands. Honey, I want you to obey me. Got very quiet on that moment. You're at work. Your boss says, obey me. You need to obey or you're fired. You go, wow, this is intense. Yet it's awesome to be obedient to God. And yet obedience, because it has been used sinfully, can be used against our clear and our, and our good conscience to be obedient to Christ. And we can go, I don't know if I said, yeah. he says you got to teach them after you make the disciple bad, that you still got to teach them to obey. So if you're a disciple here today, then you need to be taught to obey. And, and because it's in the Bible and God is a good God, he's a great God, he's an awesome God, we want to be taught to obey. We don't rebel against obedience. We're not against obedience. We want to obey God. Are you with me here? He says that's how you got you to teach them this message. And then he says, and that I've commanded you, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And of course, the book of Acts is them literally teaching this message to go and make disciples. You know, Jesus never made a Christian. Come on. You know why I never made a Christian? Because he made disciples. You go ask people out there in the, in, in the world what it means to follow God. Oh, it means to be a Christian. Christian is a term that was used, it was a derogatory term to use to persecute the disciples. So when you go through the Bible, it doesn't talk about, you know how many times the word Christians in the Bible? True disciples know. But if you're not a disciple, you don't know. Now maybe you've studied with a disciple and you know. Maybe you're following us and you know. Christians only in there three times. Disciples 279 times. Because to be a follower of Jesus, you need to be a disciple. You need to be a disciple. And he called them. That was his message. And so they went and they made, that was their message. The kingdom of God. You need to become a disciple. They preached that message all through the book of Acts. And it was an incredible, great message. Turn back to the book of Acts. You guys stay with me here? In verse 6 he says, so when they met together, they asked the Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, they were so worldly. They were thinking that the kingdom of God was this physical kingdom that would help them overcome the Romans. And yet it was a spiritual kingdom. He said to them, it's not for you to know times or dates by the Father set by his own authority. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. That's called world evangelism. He says, you will be my what? Witnesses. You can't be Jesus. You can't be Jehovah's witness unless you're Jesus' witness. Don't tell me you're Jehovah's witness if you're not Jesus' witness. He says, you'll be my witnesses. You know, sadly, there are a lot of teachings out there that really are confusing the clear and simple principles of the Bible. The Bible's written at a sixth grade reading level. It's not super hard. It's not challenging. Well, the Bible's challenging. I'm talking about the teachings itself. They're, they're easy to understand. It's hard to obey. And yet there, there are teachings out there that teach the Jehovah's Witness message. 
teach that only 144,000 are, are saved based on the book of Revelation. Of course, if you read that scripture in context, when it says only 144,000, it's talking about 144,000 Jewish male virgins. I think God saves more than just Jewish male virgins. That's just, that's just me right there. Of course, if that was true, then it would mean that the apostle Peter, who was married, he wasn't a virgin. It would mean that Peter wasn't saved. It would also mean that Jesus' mother, who wasn't a male, wasn't saved. And we're going to get to that. She was saved. And mothers get saved, right? We got Mama Sue. Where's Mama Sue? Is she here today? She's not here today. Miss my mama. But mothers are saved. Mothers can be saved. And it also means that Charles Tozer, the guy who started that, 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 that false teaching group, because he's not Jewish, means he's not saved. See what I mean? That's not a great message. That's not a good message. You know, the Mormons teach, they taught all the way up until the late 80s that if you're black, you couldn't join. You got the curse of Cain. That's, a, that's, a, that's not a great message. There are a lot of black people in the world. Like Hillary Donnelly. Hillary's black. I'm joking. I'm joking. See, a message that's all about race is not a great message. That's why God's church wasn't all black church. That's why God's church wasn't all Russian church. That's why God's church wasn't all old, all young. See, that's not a great message. That's not a great message. That's an alienating message. That's a comfortable message. Especially if it's culturally uh, positioned where it's only your culture that's in the church. Then you don't have to struggle and learn how to embrace another culture, another group, another nation, another city, another, another, what, another food. That's not a great message. But a great message is the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is not about color. It's not about race. It's not about socioeconomic background. The kingdom of God is all about God. It's all about God. That's a great message. I I love being in the kingdom of God. And going to Sydney, I, I, I knew I was in the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom, you, everywhere, the same teaching is in the same church. First Corinthians chapter 4. And we got to Sydney. I mean, they, they, first of all, they, needed, they greeted us at the air, uh, airport. We, we, I think we landed at 6.30. We came out at 6.30. We landed earlier than that. So two-thirds of the church was there. They've only got a few interns. And two-thirds of the church, they were there. So they had to get there about 4 o'clock in the morning. And they had been waiting for us. They had a sign for us. And they just, we came out. And, you know, we were jet-lagged. It's a 24-hour flight. They hugged us. And they had food and gifts. And it took us out. I mean, they just served us. They were fired up. To have, they treated us like family. And in my wife's own words, she says, you know, it was bittersweet for me. Because my physical family came on out. But I felt and received the most love from the kingdom of God. And that's a powerful message to preach the kingdom of God. Because in the Bible, the kingdom of God went all around the world. It went to the ends of the earth. That means if you're in the kingdom, you got to be willing to go to the ends of the earth. Not only Jerusalem, not only Judea, but to the ends of the earth. It's a great message. They were a great movement. They were a great movement. It says, uh, hey, 
Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. They were an, an incredible movement. God's church in the Bible is a movement. You know what happens in a movement? You move. <laughs> That's what you do. You move. Or you're not in the movement. You grow. Or you're not in the movement. You move. Or you're not really in the movement. A lack of movement can take you out. And yet I so encourage it. They have a young man by the name of Chi. He's from China. His family immigrated. They went all the way to Chicago, Illinois. They said, no, we got to get out of, out, of, out, of, out of China. I mean, it's been so tough. I mean, this story is pretty, I won't go into details about his story. He'll have to tell you. But they moved, they immigrated. They moved to, to, to they wanted the American dream. They got there. They, they started, their family started a company, started a business. Chi himself started raising funds and he went into marketing and all of a sudden now, poor young man from China, now he's living the American dream. He's in America. He becomes a disciple and the disciples said, bro, the kingdom of God. We are a movement. Are you willing to go on the city mission team? He goes, I'm willing. Are you willing to go back to China? And he had to count the cost. But you know what she said? I'm willing to go. He's now serving in Sydney, Australia. He raised 30,000 US dollars of his own money. He raised more than that. 30,000 of his own money put himself in the full-time ministry. He's gonna be the preacher in China. Why'd you do it? He says, the kingdom is all I got. Amen. I see that. Amen. I see that. And I see the kingdom is a great movement. Amen. You know, we began our, our former fellowship. We began with the attempt to evangelize the nations in one generation. No different than they, they did in the Bible. I'll prove that biblically. And of course, we came out of the mainline church of Christ. And the mainline church of Christ is well noted that at that time they had an average membership of about 150. They had 50 at midweek. They had about seven baptisms a year with six of them being the kids of the members of the church. Now, I don't seem to see that as a great movement. And so there was, a, there was a young man. He says, okay, I don't really see the passion here. I, I'm baptized, but I see the adults are not doing it. But me as a young guy, I'm doing it. So no, no, no. But he saw the passion in the scriptures. See, sometimes you may not see the passion amongst the people, but the passion is always there in the scriptures. Are you with me right here? And he said, it's time for, what about the, let's just imitate the church in the Bible. And of course, the Boston movement started 1979. Well, we say 30 would-be disciples started our our, our former fellowship, but it wasn't 30. It was actually 60. And 30 says, hey, I'm not willing to go anywhere, do anything, and give up everything for Jesus. And so they only started with 30. And those 30 disciples in Boston began what we would know as our Boston movement. 1982, Chicago was planted by Marty uh, Fruquay. 1980, later on in 1982, London was planted by Doug Arthur. Amen? 1983, New York City was planted by Stephen Lisa Johnson. 1985, Toronto was planted by the Boston, and the Boston church at that time reached about 1,000. 1986, we planted Johannesburg, Paris, France, Kingston, Jamaica. Atlanta, Georgia. We had to reconstruct Atlanta. We had to make sure that spiritually it was hot Atlanta. We reconstructed San Francisco, San Diego, and Mexico City. 1988, we went to Tokyo, Munich, and Cairo, Egypt. 1989, the Boston church sent out seven church plantings. 
They sent out LA, Miami, Seattle, DC, Honolulu, Manila, and Bangkok. In 1991, we started the church in Moscow, and in the first year, we had 800 people baptized in the Bible. 1992, Sydney, Australia. 1995, Baghdad. 1996, Los Angeles, LA Church broke the 10,000 disciple mark. 1998, right here in Wembley Stadium, we put 9,000 people in Wembley Stadium right here. You know, what, what, what happened right there? 30 people. There we say one church in Boston became 312 churches. One nation became 124 nations. 30 would-be disciples came 150 disciples all over the world. With the largest movement of churches being, or the largest movement church at that, movement church at that time being Los Angeles, which had 12,000. And to quote a great man, so that, that's not a movement of man. That is a, that's the very movement of God. The very movement of God. But you know, there's a principle in the Bible. God gathers and God scatters. See, God gathers. And we were unified. But when sin came in, it crushed us. And it disunified us. No more could you go to the same church and hear the same teaching. No more, no more were, we, were we a movement. We were a bunch of autonomous churches doing our own thing. And you know what autonomous churches produce? Autonomous disciples. Solo Lone Ranger Christians. Remember the Lone Ranger? The Lone Ranger! By himself. I'm not going to get any advice about my life. <laughs> Just going to march right on in and ask that sister if she loves me. The Lord Ranger. <laughs> Nobody can disciple me on my marriage. I'm just going to disciple my marriage. Even though my wife is really bitter at me. <laughs> that's, what long, that's what autonomous churches produce. Disciples that are all over. But they do whatever they want to do. Out of control. I don't want to be controlled. We need control in this world we live in. This world is out of control. We, are, we need some control. Don't you? The Bible controls. I'm glad I have the Bible. My mind can go all over. I read the scripture. I go, okay. All right. Let me calm down here. Our former fellowship was dismantled. It stopped being a movement. See, I didn't know that. Now you know. Now you know. We started again. We started again. Many disciples felt like they had failed. But we said it's time to be God's movement again. It's not, it's not time to be a good church. It's time to be a great church. It's time to be a great church. It's different between good and great. Time to be great. And I remember being a part of the beginning of starting the international Christian churches. Being in Portland, Oregon. What's, what's, that, church, what's that little church in Portland done? In nine years, well, nine years they produced the LA Church. And the LA Church has now grown to have not only 5,000 sold out disciples in 66 churches, but we are in 33 nations on six populated continents of the world. That's what we're doing right now. Question Are you in a movement? That's going to the ends of 
the earth. You know, we had incredible disciples there, uh, Sean and Tegan. Now, Tegan has gone through some of the most tragic things that one could ever imagine with regard to some personal challenges in her life. Sean is about, he's, he's, a, he's a really old disciple, a whopping 23 years old. I think he's been a disciple for about two, three years. He left Los Angeles, came to Sydney on the mission team. South region, amen. I spent a great time with Sean. Sean just says, I'm so young, I don't know, but I, I do know that God's with me. Amen. I go, that's awesome, God is with you. I gave him great encouragement. And then I found out later, I thought I, I thought I knew it was him, but I didn't realize it was him. I found out later, this is a young man that's going to lead the church in Melbourne, Australia. He's going to go back. He's, he and Tegan, they're planning the church in Melbourne, Australia right now. been around for so long and learned it all, he just understands God's church in the Bible was a movement and he's willing to move. How about Are you willing to go back to Bulgaria? Are you willing to go back to Ireland? Are you willing to go back to your country? Are you you willing to go back to to, to Hungary? Are you willing to move? Are you moving right now? Are you moving? (laughs) Not literally. I mean, you're sitting there. Are you moving? You have the heart to move. The first century church was a great... Can you imagine what kind of world we'd be in if we never had the civil rights movement? Can you imagine? There never was a man who said, I have a dream. Can you imagine? There's been some incredible movements. But no movement is greater than the movement of God. No movement. Great numbers. The church in the Bible had great numbers. Look at Acts chapter 2. Verse 41. Look at this one here. I got a lot of scriptures. You may have to write these down here and go back and study it on out. I've got to prove to you that there were great numbers. Not good numbers, great numbers. In verse 41, it says, Those who accepted the message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, we've got some that have come to be added to our number, but can you imagine 3,000? 3,000 baptisms. In one day. Isn't that incredible? I mean, you'd have to have, I mean, they'd have to be, we'd have to have a couple of different pools going and just, just baptizing a hundred people at a time. I mean, 3,000 baptized in one day. Look at verse 47. Come on, bro. It says, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. Daily baptisms. Look at chapter 4. Look at verse 4. Says, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. 5,000 men. That's, that's, that's like an arsenal of men. Not an arsenal of men supporting arsenal. An arsenal of men that said, listen, Christianity is heroic. See, you, you want me to tell you why men aren't getting baptized? Because Christianity isn't seen as heroic anymore. But Christianity is heroic. When you're willing to die for Jesus Christ in countries that don't believe that Jesus is Lord, that's heroic. And it takes men that are willing to die to do that. Right here, the Bible says, hey, men, got baptized. And that hits me personally. 
Because I started looking at what they're teaching in schools and around the world, and I go, why, why aren't the men rallying and saying, hey, us fathers, let's go down to the school and say, you can't, this is wrong. I believe the problem with the world is men. You know what God's solution for the world was? It was, it was men. Jesus went up on it, he called men. Here's my solution for the world. Here's my message to the kingdom. And here's my solution. You guys. The men. It's the men that need to take responsibility for the world's at, where the world's at. And start preaching Jesus' message. Men got baptized. Right here. Great, great, great numbers. Chapter 5. Look at this one. Chapter 5, verse 14. Great fear seized the whole church. All who heard about these... Sorry, verse 14. It says, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. That was how it was in those days. That's how it needs to be in these days. Look at verse 7. Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased very slowly. Rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Oh my goodness. You had guys that were teaching in other churches. They were priests. And they went, you know what? I've been preaching all my life. But I've never been made into a disciple. And I think I kind of know that. So it's now time for me to become obedient. It didn't say they came to faith. It says they came obedient to the faith. So you got leaders that are out there right now. They know what kind of faith the church in the Bible has. They just haven't become obedient to it yet. So they became priests, came and were obedient to the faith. Chapter 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened, encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in fear of the Lord. Acts chapter 11. Verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 24. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Acts chapter 12. Verse 24. The word of God continued to increase and spread. Acts chapter 13. Verse 49. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Now you have regions beginning to start in the church. Acts chapter 14. Verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. The Holy Spirit has the word effective. That's the reason why we have our first principle studies. That's the reason why we have our, 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 our teachings on how to be effective in helping someone become a true disciple. Acts chapter 16, verse 5. Look at this one. The Bible says, So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. It says churches. That means all the churches in the Bible were having daily additions. That's what that means. Churches. That means if we are to be God's church, we got to get to the point where we're having daily additions. Can you imagine? Wouldn't that be amazing? Every single day, a baptism. You know, baptism on Sunday. 
Family time on Monday, baptism. Tuesday, staff, baptism. Wednesday, midnight, midweek, baptism. Thursday, baptism. Friday, baptism, baptism. baptisms. Be incredible. Specifically, if you are one of them. If you are one of them. Chapter 17, verse 6. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brothers before the city officials, shouted, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. Talk about shaking up, you know, they, Ali says, I'm the greatest. The disciples were the greatest. They shook up the world. Other translations say, Turn the world upside down. They turned the world upside down. And of course, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, the Bible says, All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit. They had great numbers. I just got to ask you a question. Seriously. Ask yourself this question. If everybody in the church was just like me, what kind of church would we be? Everybody understands the great message. Everybody understands the great movement. Everybody understands the great numbers that the church and the Bible had that we should have. You know, people say, oh, I don't want to talk about numbers. You know why people don't want to talk about numbers? They don't have any. That's me. And when I don't want to talk about numbers, I don't really have any. When I, when I, when I have them, I want to talk about them. Can I share? <laughs> Got seven people, you know. But the Bible says great numbers. Yes. Are you in a church that's producing great numbers of disciples? Not good numbers. Not numbers. Great numbers. Are you in that kind of a church? The church of the Bible had great numbers. You know why they had great numbers? Because they had great boldness. Acts chapter 4. They had great boldness. In Acts chapter 4. In verse 12, the Bible says this here. Salvation is found in anyone who believes in God because, you know, all gods lead to heaven. No, that's the book of Second Opinions. It says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we, we must be saved. I mean, that's pretty challenging. That's a bold message. But that is the message of the Bible. That message teaches that Buddha can't save you. Buddha cannot save you. You're not saved if you're Buddhist. It says salvation is found in no one else other than Jesus. This message teaches very clearly that Jesus is the only way. He's the only way. He's not a way or your type of way. It's the only way. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see that the man had been healed, standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and confer together. What are we going to do with these men? They ask. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle. We can't deny it. But to stop this, you're getting ready to find out how to stop Christianity. Look at it. it says, but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this Man. Then they called them in again, commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And we stop right there. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> yeah. 
and we can't help it. We gotta preach. We gotta be bold. I don't care if you tell me not to. You know, I got a chance to speak at the London School of Economics. <laughs> they invited us out and they said, we've been watching, we heard about we've been hearing about what's going on in the London church. I got a little nervous at first if I'm honest. Oh no, no. <laughs> so we want you to come speak. Oh. About what? There you go. Radicalism. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, what? Uh, well, we of course know that the Muslim faith teaches radicalism, but we haven't. You know, we, so someone's going to be speaking about that, and we have some other people that are going to be speaking. But we thought the only church that could speak about being radicalized for Jesus was the Soul Out movement. That's what they thought. I didn't say that to them. That's what they said. they've heard or they're listening so I said okay I'm coming Michael Hart you want to come with me <laughs> in fact Arnie Jim Watkins okay we're all the smart disciples let's get the smart disciples okay we're all the radicals okay where's Yuri at right there he's your okay let's get and we all came on out it was awesome and they had various speakers get up there to speak powerful speeches you know one, one individual got up there to speak about the Quran and how what a loving, kind, warm-hearted uh, faith it is. It causes no problems. And it's really, more people need to be coming, becoming uh, Muslims and stuff like that. And so as I was sitting there listening to that speech, uh, my blood began to boil. Okay, let me be calm right here. I have the Holy Spirit. Um, and, then, and then a young lady got up and she spoke. She did the same thing. Uh, and, then, and then, you know, then the witch got up. You know, you got to have a witch at your seminar. Um, and the witch got, you know, have a PhD, and don't look down on the term witch, but I am a witch. She even openly said that I'm making it up as I'm going. She openly said that. You know, she was teaching the power of being a witch and all this stuff. And, you know, and then we had some guy talk about Revelation and all that stuff. Even though the world had been totally evangelized before the book of Revelation had been a, a pen. So we don't, we don't need the book. The book of Revelation is all about suffering and all that stuff with the Christian. It, there's nothing about the gospel. That's another, another sermon. And I sit there, and, and, and I just remember the one warning they gave me. Whatever you do, don't, don't really try to convert anybody in your speech. Don't, don't, don't like be too opinionated. So I went to the bathroom and prayed, came back and laid it flat out. The only thing that we need to be radical for is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. They had a panel discussion. How do we sort everything out? Everybody's giving their intellectual opinions. I go, Jesus Christ is the only answer. You know the funny thing? Everybody's sitting up there makes a point. I opened the Bible. I had the Bible there. I just opened it. Right here, Jesus. It was an uncomfortable silence. Okay, that's it for the seminar. Thank you for coming on out. I got an email in, in, in Sydney, Australia. Said we were really inspired by your speech. We were really touched by it. the main doubt. Who led it? We need to pray for the London School of Economics. That God opened the door for us there. How's your boldness been? Have you been bold? You know, the church and the Bible, everybody was bold. <laughs> it takes great boldness. Yep. 
And there will be great persecution. They, they were persecuted. The disciples were persecuted. You know, if you're visiting for the first time, we, we receive a lot of persecution. We receive a lot of encouragement. We receive a lot of persecution because we call people to have a life that matches their God. And we receive persecution. But that's a sign that you're doing something right. Not that you're doing something wrong. You guys still with me there? Turn to Acts chapter 5. Let's close it on out here. Our last two points on greatness and building a great church. How about great fear? To be a great church, you've got to have great fear. Now there was great financial sacrifice in chapter 4. Barnabas sold his house. We've got members in the church here that have sold their house. Of course, Michelle and I, when we came to plant the church, we got rid of our house, our cars, and everything. And we came. So we've seen great financial sacrifice in the church. That's amazing. We've had, we had our special missions contribution. That was, that was great. And yet, we got to make sure that we live a life of great financial sacrifice. Because we also had some individuals miss. We had a lot of people not give the week after special missions. So we, we've got to make sure we continue being, being great in our financial sacrifice. We are a poor church. We are a poor church. We don't use our money for prosperity gospel. We use it to send mission teams. And, and we don't buy buildings. All we do is pay the least amount we can to rent it so we can preach the word. Are you with me here? <laughs> that, that, those are the two assets we have as a charity. <laughs> And a little bit of money. So we got to be hardline on our great financial sacrifice. But there was great fear that moved the church. Great fear. Not, not, not an unholy fear, but a godly fear. Acts chapter 5 says this here. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. See, they saw what Barnabas had done. They saw what it looked like in the church to be totally committed. So they tried to imitate him. But it says with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. But brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart? You've not lied to the Holy Spirit. And it kept yourself so the money you received in the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't it the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men but to God. When Ananias heard this, he was challenged. No. He fell down and died. Great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young man came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she Yes, she said. This is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? See, this is the kind of wife that didn't want to tell her on her husband. Yeah. Uh, I know how he's going to be after the detox here, so I'll just... Everything's okay. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool between... You remember that song right there? Yeah. This is what she was doing. I'm so glad we don't have this in the kingdom. The wives in our church, we fear you fear God more than you fear your husband, right? Yes. Okay, there we go. All right, we're in there. We're in there. Verse 9. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. They'll carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down and died. Fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. To build a great church, you've got to have great fear. Great fear of who? God. God. Yes. Do you fear God? Yes. 
Do you fear God? Yes. I do. Yes. I'm talking about to revere. Not like you're going to kill me. To revere. To revere God. Do you realize how many people die on a daily basis? You, you realize how many people die every minute? How about every, how about every second? How about two people? The world death clock. Clocks it at two people a second. Four people just died. Two more people just died. Two more people just died. Two more people. And if they're not sold out disciples, they are not in heaven. Two more people. Two more people. Someone's mother. Someone's dad. Someone's child. Called abortion. But we want to we wanna soften the blow. We don't want to call it murder. But would we call it abortion if it was done with a gun? It's bad. Two more people. Two more people. Two more people. And that's outside of Christ. You know, one of the things that motivated me to become a disciple was the incredible love in the church. The incredible encouragement. The incredible vision of being a part of something moving around the world. Those things motivated me. But the one thing that motivated me personally the most was the fear of God. The fear that I would one day wake up and go, you know what? Today is it. It's over. For those of you that are that follow the ultimate fighting championship and yet the UFC really, I think the ultimate fighting ultimate fighting champion's a disciple. There's a story of the, the man named Kimbo Slice who was made a name for himself. All of a sudden, dead. 42 years old. What happened? Oh, his heart just gave out. He died. Want me to tell you one of the most scariest things about the world we live in? One of the most scariest lies. It's not that there is no God. Don't worry about that one. Everybody believes in God. It's not that there is no Satan. You want me to tell you what the scariest thing is? There is no hurry. I want to think about it. I want to think about I want to think about whether I need to become a disciple. No, you don't. You want to enjoy your sin for a little while longer. And you don't know if you have an aneurysm in the back of your neck and you walk out those doors and you die. You don't know if somebody's waiting to walk in here and shoot up this place like they've been doing all around the world. You have absolutely no idea. And the scariest thing is your heart can close if you've studied the Bible and you're denying the call of God. Your heart can close and God can send you a powerful delusion and you can believe the lie. That's what the Bible teaches. You'll believe the lies of the world. You'll believe that God loves me even though I'm living an alternative lifestyle. And God does love you. God is love. But just because God loves you doesn't mean you have a relationship with him. That's right. Yes. My wife loves everybody here. Yep. But there's only one with a relationship. <laughs> Okay, so that's the same with God. He's, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you, and he loves you, and he's in tears seeing you on your way to heaven. Or on your way to heaven. If you're not a true disciple. And the fear of God didn't help them get open about sin. Come on, Michael. The fear of man made them hide it. They were man focused. I got very man-focused when I studied the Bible because for the first time my heart was being challenged and I was raised religious. 
raised with an uncle who's a preacher, taught all these different things about God. But then when I found out, I was, even though I thought I was saved, I was lost. I got mad, I got mad at the preacher. Mad at the people. Instead of getting mad at the devil. That's where the world's at. Everybody's mad at God. Nobody's mad at the devil. Everybody's, is there a God? How about, is there a devil? Everybody, is, is there a God? No, is there sin? Oh, we, we don't have a problem with that. At the moment when it comes to you doing something about it and having great fear, now we want to debate it. We need some intellectual knowledge. No, we don't, we don't need it. We, we need to have great fear. This church needs to be a church that fears God. Men and women. Let's close out with Acts chapter 8. There's just a few things right there. The Bible says in verse 5, after they're converting this guy, or verse 7, after they're helping the, the demons come out of this guy, it says, with streets and evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and crippled were healed. So there was great joy in that city. You know, to build a great church, it takes great joy. <laughs> the disciples, although they had the challenges, they had joy about it. There was a great joy. I mean, you don't want to be a part of a church that's... Oh Lord, you got your ball in your chain of commitment. You, you're dragging your chain, you come rolling on it. You got your brothers with you. You gotta, gotta love them. You don't want to love them. You gotta love them. You, oh, gotta go on a date. Oh, well, just got your chain. Civil rights. Oh, you got, got coming. You better come to. How long is he gonna go here? Oh, it doesn't matter. I can be online for ten hours on AM on Amazon. But how wins the sermon over? You just got your ball and chain with you. That's not me. I love the kingdom. I love the disciples. I love, I love the disciples. I love the church. I love to sing to God. I love to sing. I love to give to God. I love to give to God. God's given so much to me. I was abandoned at the age of 14, homeless, never knew my father. Had I got every excuse to be down. But God has pulled me through all of that. I just tell myself, I can. I will. I must. I can get through this. I will get through this. I must get through this. And then I found out. Wow. It wasn't me. It was God who got me through that. And I always remember those challenging times in my life. It gives me great joy to see that God has brought me so far. I just got to ask you, are you happy? Honestly. Honestly. Honestly, are you really happy? Are you happy? If you're happy, that's awesome. But if you're not happy, join God's great church. Join God's great movement. Get a great fear. Be a part of the great numbers. Get right with God today and have great joy. To God be the Lord. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, 
events or devotionals you can find all that on our website also once again we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one